0: Here's the word for today. We're going to savor Christ today. We're going to savor Christ today. So often in uh, so many passages that we've seen so far, we've actually seen a whole lot of fussing that takes place, a whole lot of pushing against Christ, a whole lot of, so who do you think you are and how can you do this? Let's kill him. all that kind of stuff. And we're going to see that in this chapter today, but guess what? We're just not focusing in on that today. Today is um, a sweet passage. And today we're just going to hear from the shepherd. um, Because this is a sweet, sweet passage. Um, In fact, let me pray before we get going. God, thank you so much for the dearness of yourself. John 10 is, is the kind of passage where... We could fly right through it and go, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, wow, okay, right on. But that would be such a mistake. Lord, I really pray that as we have this holiday weekend, that we would just look at this passage and you would just bless our souls with who you are. You are so sweet. You are so loving. You're just so kind. And you are God. We look forward just to love in this passage this morning. In the wonderful name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, before I jump into this passage, I want to remind us what's really kind of taken place in a lot of the other chapters There's been all kinds of stuff that's been taking place. But let me just do a little overview here. John chapter 1. In every one of these chapters, we just see this great love of Christ. In John chapter 1, we see God in the flesh. He makes himself available to some really unknown guys who just say, can we check you out? And he's like, absolutely. Come on over and let's hang. John chapter 2, he steps into the life of a groom and a, and a bride uh, and uh, saves their hide in a lot of ways, um, turning the water to wine. I don't think we really understand the ramifications that would have happened upon this groom and this bride had their wedding gone sour, if you will. It had huge ramifications in that day. And Jesus steps in not only to show himself, but also just so, so kind Just uh, what ends up being loving on this couple at the start of their marriage. John 3, we see him and he sits at night and he talks one-on-one with a confused Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he's just like, dude, can you help me understand you? And Jesus is like, absolutely, let's talk. John chapter 4, he has this uh, kind of normal random life encounter with the Samaritan woman. A Jewish man interacting with a Samaritan woman? You just didn't do that in that day. And yet he interacts with this Samaritan woman who is a total social outcast. And he just spends time talking with her and taking a whole discussion to the eternal. It's just so cool. John chapter 5, he steps into the life of an invalid that's been an invalid for 38 years and heals him. In John 6, we've seen him feed 20,000 plus people in a miraculous way. In John 7, he openly invites all spiritually thirsty people to come and drink the living water that he offers freely. In John chapter 8, we see him offering no condemnation to a woman that's caught in sin. And in John chapter 9, he goes and he opens the eyes of a man born blind. And today, we're just going to see who he really is added on top of all of that. John chapter 10, you there? You with me? Okay, because we're not going to start yet. Because I have to set some context. In John chapter 10, let me set some context here. Um, John chapter 10 talks about farming. In fact, Jesus goes through this whole process. He talks specifically about sheep farming. And there's a couple things I need to set an understanding about this because we have some people in here who understand farm life and who understand farm talk. Uh, Not very many of us do, though. Uh, A few of us, like Phil and Nancy, really understand sheep farming more so than probably all of us combined. But I can pretty much say that most likely none of us in here understand sheep farming in first century A.D. It's completely different. I mean, we're used to tractors. We're used to sheep dogs. We're used to our own pens and all these kinds of things. So let me set some context of what it was like to uh, sheep farm in Jesus's day. First, it was common for multiple families to bring their sheep all together to one place to graze. Now, some of the wealthier families had their own grazing area. But for most all families in that day, they would actually bring their sheep to a kind of independent, if you will, grazing field. And at that field, there would be a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper's purpose was he knew who owned the sheep. And so you had this deal set up and you paid him. They were not his sheep. They were your sheep, but he knew whose sheep they were and how many. So you didn't have your own field, but you would bring them into a common shared field and and pay for that. Another thing that's different from today is uh, all the shepherds had their own specific call on sheep. Now, you would think if there's five families bringing all their sheep together, how in the world do you know whose sheep is whose? And I'm not even going to try it. If anybody wants to here, you are welcome to have at it. But every farmer had their own call. And it wasn't like, hey, Helmer sheep over here. It wasn't that kind of. It was a unique kind of an actual, I don't, some kind of patented like vocal call that they would give. And they had trained their sheep at young to come at that call. And I'm not going there. They would make the call, whatever that is. It was completely unique from all the other shepherds who had sheep in the common grazing area. And their specific sheep would come. Isn't that cool? You know, you just come. Okay, I'll give it a shot. You just come and go, oh, what it is, and their sheep would come at that call. And then you would, the gatekeeper knew who you were, the sheep knew your call, and they would come, and you could then take them to your place for keeping for the time being. With that in mind, let's start John chapter 10. Uh, Let me tell you about a shepherd. Number one, I want to tell you today about a shepherd who owns his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, Jesus says, or please hear me, please hear me. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, uh, that man is a thief and a robber. Got the idea? Remember from what we were talking about? In the field, and there, there it's fenced around, and a gatekeeper in a gate. And how else would someone get in there to take some sheep? They'd have to hop over the fence and steal them that way, because there was literally someone there guarding the gate. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all of his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers this figure of speech jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to him let me just highlight some things they're his sheep They're his sheep. Uh, This shepherd owns his own sheep. He's all in on owning them. He's not a hired hand. We'll see in verses 12 and 13 here in a little bit. It talks about the hired hand. He's not a hired hand. They're his sheep. I don't want to be owned by someone. Oh, yes, you do. You want to be owned by this shepherd. Uh, By the way, do you realize that everybody is owned spiritually? Ephesians chapter 2 basically clearly tells us that everybody is owned. You may be saying, you know, I don't want Jesus to own me. Okay, go to Ephesians chapter 2 and take a look at what it says. The Bible says this, that all are owned by the prince of the power of the air. Let's think, who is that? Um, That's Satan. Satan. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. I don't get a great thrill out of saying that. But the fact of the matter is in this is understanding that spiritually everybody is owned by someone. Uh, The deal is is that naturally because of sin we're owned by the wrong owner. You don't want to be owned by this dude. You want to be owned by the John 10 dude. Listen. They're, they're for whatever your thing is, for whatever your hobby or interest is, there's some things where you're going like, I would so love to be owned by Bill Gates. I would so love to be a child of like Michael Jordan. or I don't know what your, what your thing is. I'm just telling you, you want to be owned by this John 10 shepherd. You want to be owned by him. And he takes it way serious as we're going to see here. Look at this. Uh, he calls them to himself. He calls. There's so much we could go into this. There's so much theology right here. I want for you to understand. He calls his sheep. And here's the thing. You know. So do I respond to Christ or does he call me? Listen, he calls you to respond. And so here's the thing. It's in it. Have you responded to the call? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's made the call. The call's out there. It's open. It's open. The question is, are you a sheep? Do you want to be a sheep owned by him that hears him and responds to him? That's the issue. And understand this. If you've responded to him, you don't go like, I am so awesome because I responded to God. It's like, listen, I'm telling you. It's all the work of God. God has called. And the fact that you and I would even respond to him is a God owned deal. No praise for responding. It's all praise to the one who calls. He calls, and the sheep hear and they respond to his call. And I love this. It's added in here on purpose. We kind of fly by this. In uh, verse 3, it says, To the sheep, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name. That was not normal end that day. In other words, you know, those of you who know farming, I mean, you got 50 sheep, 100 sheep, 200 sheep, you raise them to sell them off. You don't get too close to Bambi and Fluffy and Wooly. You just don't. Because it's like a crop. But here it's talking about clearly. This is not a shepherd who just looks at the flock and just looks at, hey, uh, uh, number 692. Hey, number 784. He knows them by name. By name. The shepherd, if you are his sheep, he knows you intimately. I mean, you got the picture. He comes to the gate. He calls, sheep, and they come. And the gate's open, and the gatekeeper knows they're his sheep. That's for sure. They're his sheep. And so he opens the gate, and they walk. Hey, Doug, Karen, Luke, Emily, isn't that cool? The second person of the Trinity, and this is part of what's purposely being stated here. He's not just a shepherd where it's like, yeah, go, boom. It's just like he knows you by name, by name. And notice in the passage, it says he leads. He goes before them and they follow him. What a picture. You want to know what the Christian life is like? That's it. That's it. He's in the lead. Crud. I just like want to do my own thing. Here a little bit ago, our cat was having some, cat issues and so we took him to the vet and and uh we had to give him some medicine and uh (laughs) giving the cat medicine and so here karen i call him karen's boyfriend and uh so (laughs) karen gets the cat puts him on a towel wraps him up You know, so just loving on him, loving on him. And I'm coming over trying to shoot the stuff in his mouth real quick because it just has to get in there because it absorbs. And it's just like, listen, listen, (laughs) cat. Okay, by name, Clarence. Clarence, you know, it's like I'm trying to help you. Seriously. Just go with me. Just go with me. I I, I know more than you, cat. Clarence, I know more than you. Just go. And it's like, you know, here, if you will, the shepherd is holding the sheep, and we're trying to help this thing. And it's like, squirt, wham! And the thing just shoots out. I don't want to be in it. Is that you? I hope not. Listen, that cat has it so good. So good. I, I pray, sheep, you and I are not like that. That even in times when it's hard, even in times we don't get it, even in times when we don't like what's happening in our life, we realize our owner. He's got it all together and it's okay it's okay the shepherd owns his sheep second the shepherd saves his sheep verse seven so jesus again said to them truly truly i say to you i am the door of the sheep now it's interesting i'll just pause here for a second because what's part of so common as we saw in the verse six right before that they weren't understanding what he was saying and there's part of that where you kind of go dudes i mean it's not that hard come on I mean, what he was saying, the picture of what he's saying, and yet they weren't understanding. And what is so common for Jesus is he kind of uses the same analogy, the same picture, but he comes at it from a little bit different angle. And in the writer of John, we see this over and over again where he shows how Jesus is like, oh, okay, okay, didn't get that one. Let's try a different angle here and let's add to it. Let's use the same illustration, but slightly different. That's what Jesus is doing. So he says, truly, truly, now listen to me, listen to me. I, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Let's go with that. I'm the door of the sheep and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, in that day, there were many people, I don't know if you know this, but there were many people who claimed to be the Messiah. There were many people who claimed to be the one that God had talked about in the Old Testament, and they came before him. And in essence, Jesus is giving the picture here. No, they're thieves and they're robbers. They're trying to take my sheep. And I don't like that. Verse 9, look at this. I am the door. Anytime you see Jesus say, I am blank, pay attention to that. I am the shepherd. And here he's kind of taking it at a different angle. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Have you noticed that in world, our world reality even today? How many leaders in our world They talk about how I'm so about my people. I'm so about my people. They love me and I'm seeking to help them. And it's like, no, you don't. Dog, thief, you robber. You are so using all these people for yourself. And that's why in our culture today, we have a hard time on this thing of being owned by someone. But I'm telling you, you want to be owned by this shepherd. You so want to be owned by the shepherd because all the others are thieves. And this is not only just a political world leader issue, if you will, but this is theological. This is those who lead in the wrong way, who teach untruth, who teach heresy. They are thieves and they are robbers. Don't cuddle with them. Don't cuddle with them. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But look at this. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I I hope you don't have this idea or have grown up possibly with the idea that, you know, following Jesus, the Christian life, crud. Crud. You know, it's kind of the old thing. I remember hearing, uh, um, uh, I just forgot it. How'd that go? I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with the girls that do. I ain't got no girlfriends. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, the Christian life is you can't do that and you can't do that. And and like, you can't have any fun. Oh, please. Please. Oh, please. Can I just say this? Look at the world. Look at how much fun they're having. Momentary. But it's just so awesome being able to. uh, No, it's not. There are people here that have stories about your life and what you have done and how you have sought after that. And I know about it, how you seek after the things. And they're just like, after a while, you're just like, come on, that's it? That's it? And Jesus here talks about this idea of abundantly. The word in the Greek is referring to this idea of an excessive life. It's kind of in the picture of it all. It's, it's the idea of, uh, listen, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who comes and, and I raise fat sheep, protected sheep, uh, filled sheep, wonderful sheep, sheep that just are like, you would want to go anywhere else kind of sheep. Abundant sheep. You have that idea of Jesus? Uh, or is it this idea that following christ is kind of like oh crud oh crud well i just got to do this but then but then i get to have eternal life and actually when i think about eternal life that kind of sign of sounds kind of boring too because well it's all just glory for god it's like oh my word are they gonna have like fudge there or are they going to have like brownie ice cream and hot fudge is there going to be some kind of fun there oh we so don't get it we so don't get it hey this sheep owns his sheep and his sheep adore being owned by him he saves them he gives them life Again, back to Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about, and you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. Dead person cannot raise themselves. Dead people can't make themselves alive. You have to have someone else come and... And bring life into you. And then verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But in his great richness and his mercy and his love. God came and gave Christ that you and I could be resuscitated. Boom! And brought to life. Not only just back to life. But back to an abundant life. The shepherd owns his sheep. The shepherd saves his sheep. Third, this shepherd died for his sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's a phenomenal statement. It's not like I got caught. It's literally, I laid down my life. So far, we've seen in John multiple times this term that says, at the hour. The hour has not come yet. Jesus was in full control. Oh, by the way, technically, Jesus did not die the way you and I think of that. Factually, theologically, Jesus gave up his life. Different. It wasn't this poor sap stuck on a cross, fool. You, like, got a little carried away with your religion. This was literally God incarnate. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, nailed to the cross, and he gave up his life. What kind of shepherd does that? In fact, look at the next couple verses, verse 12, because he's just talking about he lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This is what makes this shepherd so different than any other shepherd. It's like, when all of a sudden, the people turn against me, I'm turning against them. But not this shepherd. This shepherd is like, they even take me to the cross, and I lay my, down, I lay my life down for them. Hey, Do you you know that your Savior gave up his life for you? Who's done that lately? He gave up his life in our place. He did for me what I could not do for myself, and he knew it, so he put him in my place. And he died for me. He died for you. Oh my word, that is like a really cool shepherd. Wow, how special. Oh, by the way, it's very interesting in the text. In verse 11, whose life, its in the verb here, there's a present active tone to it. In other words, it has this tone. He continues to give up his life for his sheep. You see, normally I would have thought that in the Greek language that they would use a perfect verb. A perfect verb would mean that they did something, an action took place, and it has ongoing ramifications. We had Thanksgiving dinner and I still feel sleepy. (laughs) You know, that's kind of like a perfect verb. A present active verb means it's an ongoing action. And it's very intriguing. And honestly, I'm not quite sure fully how to grab a hold of it here in this text. But all I can do is, is this, is understand that what he's saying is whose life is presently and actively given up in behalf of the sheep. That's cool. There's an aspect of what was done has a present reality to it. Every day understanding that my shepherd gave up his life for me. How sweet. Fourth, the shepherd knows his sheep. I've kind of talked about this already, but let's pick up verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, help me get a picture of like, how deep are we talking about? I know various ones in here at various levels of reality. I know some of you in here quite well. I know others of you uh, a little bit. And honestly, some of you, I really don't know, For in all honesty, very much at all. So let's understand here, out of the text, when Jesus says he knows his sheep, like at what level is he talking about? Look at this. This utterly blows my mind. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. How? Just as the Father knows me. Just as I know the Father, like that. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. In other words, he's speaking to the Jews and he's talking about the Gentiles to come. There's going to be other sheep that are coming into this world. But did you get how the, when Jesus says, I know my sheep, the, the level of what he's talking about here, he's referring to this idea. As I, know my, as I know the Father, as God the Son knows God the Father, as God the Father knows God the Son, I know my sheep like that. Boom! Total boom! In fact, what would that be like saying? It'd be like saying, thank you, again. <laughs> Boom! I mean, listen, that's awesome. It's just not like God is some far-off distant star out there just like, you know, sitting in a chair, rocking back and forth, the drools coming down, and so he's got this, you know, he gets Twitter-pated, that kind of a thing. He wakes up and comes to, he knows you like he knows the Father. Oh, my word. One, that scares me to death. <laughs> and two... That cranks me up. That he would know me. You, if you are a sheep, if you've come to a place where you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, he knows you. As he knows the Father from eternity past knowing. Wow, that's deep. That's deep knowing. Verse 17. "Uh, For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. By the way, his laying down his life, it wasn't just about the cross. It was about the empty tomb. In fact, it was the empty tomb was the reality that the cross was driven by. Here he's talking about what's he looking forward to, the cross? No, not so much looking forward to the cross. He's really looking forward to what comes after the cross, the resurrection. Verse 18, no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Let's just keep reading. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Uh, Just for a moment here. Let me uh, uh, make a comment to those of you who I would say are kind of seeking out what this is all about. You're not quite sure who Jesus really is. You're not quite sure really if this is the real thing or not. Um, this is just one more reality of, you know what, you're not alone in trying to figure that out and think that through. Back in that day, Jesus right before, you know, oftentimes people said, well, if I could see Jesus here, talk right here. I'd No, you wouldn't it would be the same thing. We would be in the same thing to where some are going to respond and go, he's insane. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. This is only for people who need, who need a crutch. <laughs> Fine. You, you have the ability, you have the right to make that call. But What I love about the other people is they're going, wait a second. See, because the other people are the ones who are really thinking. The first set of people are just offended because he said something that kind of like twisted their thinking at a different angle. But it's the second group of people who are really the ones who are really thinking it through. Wait a second, I hear what you're saying and I can kind of understand. He, maybe, maybe he is insane, but wait a second. How can you call a guy insane when the fact of what he's just been doing? No insane person can do that. No insane person can come along and all of a sudden make an invalid walk. Make the blind see. Turn the water to wine. Nobody can do that. Nobody can stand there multiple times over, and we'll see again here, when there's a whole crowds around him that want to stone him to death for heresy, and uh, he just walks away. Who, who, who can do all that? Listen, if this guy's insane, he's really good at it. Or he is who he says he is. I'm just telling you, there's no in-between. There is no in-between here. And the text at the very end will clarify that. Verse twenty-two. At that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter—not like snowy and all that stuff doesn't quite happen there. It was cooler, and oftentimes it get windy. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews around gathered around him and said to him, "How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly." And Jesus answered them, "I told you." <laughs> I I told you, I told you, but you do not believe. See how this fits with the sheep? I call my sheep and they hear my voice. That's why I've talked before and I've said, listen, Christianity is for people who think, who really try and process information and factual data, and they try and process it through. It's not this touchy-feely, I just want to believe something. But he's saying, I've told you, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe me because you are not part of my flock. You see, I have a flock problem in that situation. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Can I encourage you to circle or underline verse 27? Because I just want to tell you verse 27, that is the Christian life right there. That is it right there. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It's simply this. Uh, I hear the voice of Christ. I drive the stake in the ground and say, I follow you. And he knows them and, and I follow him. I follow him. It's an ongoing process. It's not the golden ticket thing. Verse 28, look at this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Nick and Andy, could I use you here just for a second? Use and abuse you. Andy, Andy is the sheep. Everybody, thank you for the sheep. Okay, Andy, come here. Uh, I'm not hearing very rousing applause there. Okay, stand right here. What the passage talks about is this. It talks about the son holds his sheep. Gotcha, man. By the way, and the father holds on top of that. (laughs) All right? Now, listen Andy may thrash, but I'm just telling you, we're in on this one, we're committed. The Son and the Father hold his own sheep. Thanks. Hey, I don't I don't know if you struggle with this whole thing of eternal security. If so, you need to memorize those verses. You see, you don't earn the hug. God your goodness does not maintain the hug Uh, Nick and I were two ugly guys and God's different than that and he might be able to push and break away from us but I'm telling you when you're talking about that illustration and the two people holding him being God the son and God the father Are you kidding me? Go ahead. Just try it. You can't take my sheep. That's the idea. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I think of Mark chapter 4, and there's fruit that shows it. Listen, if your faith has not changed you, your faith has not saved you. It's not this golden ticket reality. Just come down and do the ditty dance. Just that or that, or just say these words, and all is good, and go on and live your life, whatever. Just make sure that you pray every, like, December. That's not what this is talking about. The sheep follow the shepherd, and when that happens, when you drive the stake in the ground from, I, I wonder if there's a whole bunch of other sheep in the pen who are like, I wonder, I'd rather be with that sheep, but it's like they never make the decision. They never make the move. And understand when you make the move and you drive in the stake in the ground with Jesus Christ, you are wrapped and then you are double wrapped. Oh, and by the way, the scripture also tells us that the spirit of God seals you. Kawham, I mean, there is a seal on the sheep that you are owned by the Godhead. You and I do not earn God's favor. But God's grace shown in our life should show. I mean, how sad would it be for Andy in this illustration to be where it's like you've got the father and the son and the spirit stamped him and then hugging on him so he can't be snatched away. And yet he's like, I don't want to be here. I just want to do my thing. Isn't that a sad picture? It's like, dude, just calm down. You could not be in better hands. He knows his sheep. Number five, the shepherd holds his sheep. Hold you. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. and No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Uh-uh, that ain't happening. I and the father are one. And look at the response, verse 31. We'll just read the end. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him. Look at this. It's very important. If you've got some theological struggles with who Christ thought he was, it is not for a good work that we are to stone you, but for blasphemy, blasphemy because you being a man make yourself to God. Why did they crucify Christ? Simply they crucified Christ for this reason. Because they knew that Jesus was saying he was God. And wouldn't you agree? That's kind of an insane claim. Because you either are or you aren't. Uh, very clear jesus clearly stated that he was god in the flesh and from their standpoint that's ultimately why they crucified him but the fact of the matter is jesus actually gave up his life verse 34 jesus answered them is not, is it not written in the law i said you are god's If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blasphemy? because I said I am the son of God. Remember son of God is not birthed of. It's talking about equal to as well as the Daniel 7 promise. Verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my father then do not believe me. But if I do them even though you do not believe me. Believe the works. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I'm very curious what that was like. Did time just stand still like we can picture in a computer graphic scene? Or was it actually a bit of a wrestle? I don't know. Verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained and many came to him and they said to him, John, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Um, if you're not sure who your shepherd is, I want to encourage you today to consider that: who is your shepherd? Because you are owned. The reality is, is you have a chose choice, and who is your owner? No, no one owns me. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, but I hate to break it, but someone does. Someone does. And I just also want to add to that. If you've grown up or have developed this idea that God is like this, take in John 10. He's a good shepherd. Oh, my word. There is none better. sheep are you following the shepherd are you following the shepherd walk like that talk like that think like that follow the shepherd follow the shepherd live like that that's the call hey god i want to thank you for the time this delightfully sweet passage Oh, my word, Lord, just it's sweet. I mean, there's a lot of ruckus going on, clearly, that's for sure. There's a lot of pushback going on for Christ here. How he just maintained his composure is just stunning to me. But then I remember, oh, he's the good shepherd. And he's the shepherd who understands that he, he, his, his call to be his sheep is open to all. But his sheep do hear his voice. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning, it's like I'm not sure who my owner is. I would ask that whether it's someone they came with or come down after the service, you got some people down front, if they want to be able to just to talk and ask and start a dialogue, God, that they would do that. Lord, it's a big deal. Uh, being owned by you. Oh, my word. I'm all in on that. In light of who you are. Father, may we as sheep be ones that follow you. May we just sink that image in our head right now. The one who owns us. The one who saved us. The one who died for us. The one who knows us and cares for us. And the one who holds us. God, we want to follow him. May we not get off the path. Lord, I pray this morning, if there is anyone who's been straying in other fields, that right now, you for giving life and for giving it so abundantly. In the beautiful name of Christ we pray.